It's good to be together, isn't it? Good to be together. Praise the Lord. Well, I don't try to rehearse what I'm going to pray during that time, and I just felt something supernatural there. You know, we are the church, and I, I know I've said it many, many times in these eight years, but this building is not a church. We call it a church, and that's fine. Uh, there's no wrong in calling this building a church, but we are the church. Amen? And we have a personal, intimate relationship with him. We come together and we join together corporately. And something supernatural happens when we do that. Amen. The Bible says, where two or more are gathered together, there I am in the midst of them. And I know the context of that scripture is a legal thing, but nonetheless, there are concepts within our word that we must look and see that the Lord is with his people. Amen. And he was with Jesus uh, chose uh, these 11. He said, I chose 12 of you. One's a devil, but he chose 11 that were going to carry on his word. And those men uh, were able to, he said, I speak parables to the world, but to you, I let you know the secrets and I let you know the mysteries. And so there is a place in God. There is a place where you can have a knowledge of him and there is a place where you can know him. And it's not about uh, the amount of people, and it's not about the excitement of the people. It's just about being close to him. Amen. Praise the Lord. And so that's kind of what we were talking about last week, and I'm going to go right into it today. And I just want to say this. Jesus calls us, doesn't he? Before you said yes to him, you must know, that. I, and I read it last week out of John 6, that he calls us, doesn't he? John says that that. No one can come unless they're drawn, right? So every one of us can say there was something that was drawing us, and you didn't even have, you didn't know who he was. You certainly didn't know what it would be like to walk with him, right? I've heard it's an old Christian joke, and I'm going to say it again, that if you knew, if you knew what your life would be like when he said, do you want to follow me, most of you would have said no, because you wouldn't have under you wouldn't have had enough reason. This is not not human reason. You wouldn't have had enough spiritual reason to say it's worth it. You wouldn't have understood that all the hell you went through and all the trials and tribulations that we go through as believers in this maturing process that it would be worth it. And if he showed you that, you would have said no. So he he gives you the honeymoon phase, right? And says, I love you, your life you know, uh, is a mess, and I, can, and I can fix it. And all of those things are true, amen. And we came to him excited, and then what happens? Something, something in us says, I want to know more about this mysterious Jesus, and so we begin to learn about him, right? That's the very next stage is, is what? I want to know. Okay, I said yes to you. Now, if it was true, and, it, and when it is true, like it is for you in this room, what happened? I, I want to know more about you. I want to be around other, wow, there's other people that these people know you, and they, they sound like they know what they're talking about. Maybe I'm not going to be with this group of people my whole life, but I'm going to be with them for a time, and I'm going to learn what I can from, your, from them and your word. And, what, and this, this, this pathway starts to happen, right? And you start to find uh, this, this group of believers that kind of merges and molds throughout your life, but you start to mature. You start to grow. And you get excited now that not just that a, a knowledge, wow, I think I'm starting to know him. I'm actually like, uh, I remember TJ and, and Rick, you know, brothers here, but thinking it was so funny when they found out that there was Christian jokes. 
And they just thought it was funny because the world has certainly does have its jokes, don't they? And they're disgusting. And then, wow, I, but the moment I still remember when, when they were some years ago, we're like, I get them. The context, it's, it's funny now. You have to be a Christian for a little while before the joke starts to make sense. And so what happens is, is we, we start to feel like, hey, this is my identity. I feel like I know him and I know what it means to be a believer, right? Amen. Is everybody just tracking with me? And this is the pathway that we all started on and we're all walking on as believers. But then this moment happens. And I don't, believe, I don't believe it's a moment. I believe it's a moment that happens many, many times. In fact, it'll happen all the time if you want to get close to the Lord. And it's this moment where what Jesus says to you what was said in the word, what the preacher, I don't know if it came through a preacher, I don't know if you read the verse, I don't know if you heard it on the radio, or if you heard it in your heart, but you said, no, God, I can't take it. I don't like what you just said to me. I don't agree with that preacher. I don't agree with that verse. And there's this moment, we've all gone through it many, many times if you are a mature believer. I'm going to be talking about maturing and just maturity today. And uh, and, and I titled last week, How Far Will You Go? Because we get to this moment in John 6 where they could take Jesus. They love the exciting things about him. They love the salvation part. They love, you know, all of the fun part about following Jesus. And he's doing these miracles and he's feeding us. And that's exciting, isn't it? Who remembers those moments in your early walk with the Lord? Is a very exciting thing when you were dirty and now you're clean. And that's amazing. And it would be like, I've, I've used the example, and so does the word. It's like a husband and wife coming home from the honeymoon, and there's the excitement. We just got married, and, and like, hey, now we've got our own home. And, like, and then all of a sudden, it's like, I don't like where your toothbrush is, and I don't like the way you make the bed, and there's bills come in the mail, and I don't even like the way you park the car in the driveway or whatever else, right? Those, now it's down to, but that's real life. The honeymoon is exciting, but that's not real life. That was just an exciting spark right, for a whole entire journey ahead of you. And it's the same way with the Lord. We, and this moment happens just like a husband and wife, where you have now the choice to make, like, am I in this? Like, did I really decide to follow you because I want you? Do I really want to follow you, Jesus? Or do I just want the exciting things that you offer? And when it gets tough, am I going to, like the seed I referred to last week, there is a seed, right? There is a seed that can get choked out by the cares of the world. That's not a seed we want. There's a seed that just blows in and blows out. That's not what we're talking about. And then there's a seed that does get planted. But when things become a little hairy, things become difficult. The Bible says it's like the sun, you know, basically uh, it doesn't have deep roots, right? And that seed withers. It dries up because it didn't go deep enough. And the Lord for our own sake, wants us to go deeper. It's for your benefit that he wants you to go deeper. There is a second thing which should break our hearts is that he wants to know us so intimately. That's really, if, if that's, the, that's the ultimate thing that he wants, the reason he wants you to go deeper is for that. But it's almost like, uh, and, and I use that father and daughter uh, example a lot because it makes sense, at least to me, you can look at a father who's harsh and says, you know, like I say, when I, every time I use this example, you can't go out tonight. The father, you could say, is being, uh, has laws and rules and he's so tough. Or you could see that he has love. So ultimately, in the same way, the Lord really is calling us in, not in a place of law, 
it is a place of his love. He wants us to be intimate with him because really, even because God can be selfishly for his own, because he made us, God made us, right? And he made us for himself. And it's a different type of selfish. It's not an earthly selfish, but he wants us because he wants us. But at the, if you can't get that, at the very least, it's to our own benefit. It's to our own benefit living in this fallen existence with a devil that is ruthless and will not give you a break. Uh, it's to our benefit to want to get close to him because he will direct us and keep us safe and bless us and so on. It's all there in him. So we hit this crossroad, though, where I have to decide, am I going to be offended with God? I'm not talking about being offended at the church, being offended at other believers, although lots of times God uses that. Who's ever been there? Who's ever been there where God used that? I'm not saying it was just, right? There's many times, right? Michael just was just telling me recently that's, that the Lord showed him some things, and the Lord basically just said, you know, without any real details, but just the surface of it, these things are just for you to be offended at, but I want you to get over them. All right, that's the very, very, that's so glossed over. But right at the, at the basic, I want you to get over them. Why? Because these offenses, these roadblocks, these things, when we are, no, no matter what it is, whether it's a concept in God that we don't like, it's one we just can't seem to do, it's one that doesn't line up with our modern culture. Whatever it is, what maybe you think God of the Old Testament was really harsh. In fact, I want to read a scripture. Sometimes people say, wow, you know, God in the Old Testament, he was so harsh, wasn't he? And Jesus is so loving, and they seem like they contrast each other. I want to read a scripture to you. Luke chapter 17, verse 7. Luke chapter 17 Verse 7 says, When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, Come in and eat with me? No, he says, Prepare my meal, put on your apron, and serve me while I eat. That's my own attitude. There's no attitude in the scripture. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. I think the reason I read the scripture, and right here at the beginning, this is not the sermon, but the reason it needs to be read, and I wanted to say is that there's a reality check as believers. There's a reality check when we learn that this loving God who did give his life on the cross, didn't he? Who can just testify? He died for you without any purchase. You, you can't earn it. You can never do enough to say thank you anyway, right? That was done for you. But there's a reality check when that same loving God demands anything of you. We don't like to be demanded of, do we? No one. This is just human nature. Maybe it's just American nature, but I don't think so. But this is where I live, so I can only really judge us. I haven't been all over the world. I don't know. I've had some with lots of people from other parts of the world who seem like they're just like us, so let me just sum it up that way, that it seems like, at least in my existence, and I think we can agree, that human nature is, don't tell me anything. I don't want to be told to do anything. John, shh. 
I don't want to be told to do anything. You should brush your teeth. I'm not brushing my teeth. You're going to get cavities. I don't care. I mean, but it's, I'm making fun, but that, that's, you're telling your kids to do good things that are going to be good for them, but just because they're told to do it, now I don't want to do it. It's a good thing, but because you told me to do it, now I'm not going to do it. And I think there's this reality check in Christianity, and they're actually, if you haven't had it, you're about to get offended today. I think we're a small church, so it's easy to look at all of you and say, I don't think so. But we have this thing in the Lord where we, we love him and he loves us, and then all of a sudden he says something like that in Luke 17. We should never gloss over verses. Dawn and I were just talking about this, how so much of the word can just be read, and you read it, and it just goes like this. You know, It's like you know it up here, but it doesn't hit here. And then one day the Lord just moves it from here to here, right, from your head to your heart, and you go, wow, Lord. You guys just, are you guys hearing me in this verse? He says, he said, he said, not only am I saying, don't eat with me, you eat when I'm done, but I'm not, don't expect to thank you either. It's amazing. And that's the Lord speaking. That's, this is one of Jesus's parables. And, and he's not really being harsh. What he's trying to show you is, don't think that following the Lord is about doing something for reward. Don't do it. For, for what it can give you, and don't do it for its honor. Do it because it's right. I think that that's a reality check, because especially today, a lot of the gospel uh, message out there is sold as, if you do this, you'll get this. Come on. Like it's a merit system. If you will just give your life to Christ, he'll give you eternity. And that's true, right? That's true. But then... That initial amazing like gift without anything whatsoever, now it carries in. Give, make sure you give today because then you'll get. I don't preach that sermon. You've never heard me preach that sermon, but that is a very common gospel sermon, isn't it? Why do we give? To get. Give, and it will be given unto you. I mean, that's the principle. I'm, they're quoting the scripture, but that's not why we do it. The Lord gives me because he, my Bible, the full gospel and not just one scripture cherry picked out, says that it's out of the goodness of God and the greatness of God, the amazingness of God, his grace, his mercy, his love, that we have anything. In fact, the scriptures, if you really want to read it, say, I'm only giving him what he gave me first, right? And so we see that the Lord is uh, bringing us through these moments where our eyes are open to Jesus. And some people are raised to know him. I'm just going to read something. I'm just going to read this so I can, I just want to, don't want to miss anything. Some people are raised to know him, and others are introduced to him at a later age. But in either case, there comes this moment where we must move from knowledge to knowing. Let me say that again. You may have been raised in Christianity, and maybe you were introduced at a later age, but there's this moment and the Lord gives you grace. I'm not even saying, I'm not saying you are unsaved. I'm just saying there is a graduation day. Everybody say graduation day. Imagine, and I use this example of students and going through the grades because I think it'll, it's going to make sense as we get deeper into this sermon. I used it last week as well. Imagine a child at sixth grade says, I think I've got enough information, right? 
and I'm just ready to move on. I've, I've learned enough. I know enough. Do you, would you guys agree that that's probably enough education? Even if you don't like school, my kids don't like school. I didn't train them that way. I told them, go to school, be smart, do something smart with your life. Just because I work with my hands, I didn't tell my kids to work with their hands. You know, but, so they don't really care for school, and we got a teacher right behind them who loves school. Or maybe his school was a means to an end. Two teachers. But regardless of whether you like it or not, sixth grade's probably not enough. You probably need a few more years. And, and so for us, when, we're, when the Lord is bringing us into knowing him, there is a point where there is this knowledge and learning, and then there's this moment where we're introduced to reality. All of a sudden, the, we used to call it the age of accountability, right? Jeannie, remember, age of accountability was a big, big topic. It was a big, it was a phrase that was floated around when I was a young man in Christianity. And it's just basically this moment where your eyes, you know, you're a child and everything's innocent. Then all of a sudden, your eyes are opened to reality. And in the same way, there is this there's an age of accountability in Christ where there's an innocence and then there's a demand that's put on you. Like, I, I, you know what you're supposed to do here and now you're not doing what you know. But before I gave you grace, even though you didn't know it was wrong, I gave you grace. But once you knew it was wrong, now I'm telling you, you're in rebellion. Who's been there with the Lord? Who has seen that? Many, many things, right? The common story, right, it used to be that when they got saved, right, the 60s and 70s, uh, well, they were still in the bars. I've heard many pastors say this, that, you know, there's a, a, a well-known pastor, it doesn't matter his name, and I don't usually name names for that reason, because I, I just don't like getting into that. But anyway, he used to say that uh, when he first got saved, he was preaching in the bar. He had a beer in his hand, and so did they, and he was preaching about the Lord. He was so excited for this Jesus he met. He didn't really know him yet, but he knew of him, and he was excited. I'm not talking about salvation or not. I'm just saying that there was a moment where he had to graduate. Everybody say it again, graduate. Right? There was a moment where the, the bar was not going to work anymore. That's not going to work anymore in my life. And, you know, I don't force anybody, and when people ask me, like, I don't preach rules and regulations and certain time frames because I don't know where you're at in your walk. And again, this is a small group, so just take it gener generically or generally speaking. But the Lord is calling us all at different stages and different ages and different places. His word is still the same, but each of us, we all have grace. But there is a moment where he says, I don't want you to do that anymore. I don't want you to live the way anymore. And the offense could be, but they get to do it but they're allowed to do it. I don't understand. Why can they do that? We both go to the same church. Come on, who's been there? Come on, I'm touching some nerves of things that we've all been through. And the Lord says, look at my word. And you look at his word, I can't deny it's in your word. I just didn't realize you were giving me so much grace. And it's not my job now to judge them or point my finger at them. It's my job to follow your word and move on. And so that's what happened this is not just an intro. This is the sermon, even though it kind of maybe felt like an, an intro in the beginning. And the Lord's like, I just want you to start preaching here. So if you feel like I was just introing, I'm not. I'm in this sermon. But what happens is, is for each of us, as we come to this place where he turns to the disciples and he says, are you going to, what are you going to do? 
And that's, that's the word of the Lord for, for this Sunday as a part two, is what are you going to do? When you get to that place in the Lord, are you going to... It doesn't matter what age you're at. You could be 85 years old, and there is a stubborn place inside you that you've never surrendered to the Lord, and the Lord says to you that day, are you going to hold this thing to your grave, or are you going to let this thing go? Every single one of us, no matter how old you are, you're going to come to this place where you're going to say, Lord... Like they, like they said to Jesus, where, where are we going to go? We're all in. We're all in at this point. And so there is uh, this place that we can get to, and I just I wrote this down. Uh, if you're in heaven, then praise God. You're a resurrected and perfect being. But there is something we must come to while still on the earth. No matter the age, no matter how much you know about God, no matter how close you are, the moment you get comfortable and settle in your faith, it's an open door for disbelief, a lazy faith, for pride, and even finally death. That all of us must come to the place where we realize that uh, I haven't made it, I'm not in heaven yet, and if you're not dead yet, then you're still to be maturing. My grandfather, he lived into his 90s, and he would tell you this, remember? He would say, you have to keep moving. He would say, when you, when you stop moving, you die. He knew it. He knew that was the way. Just keep moving, because he would say, when you stop moving, you die. And it's the same thing for us as believers. When a couple is young, as I was just mentioning, they're excited. No one's forcing them to be excited about each other. And, uh, and then what happens? There's tons of literature. There's counseling available today. Uh, and, and it's for couples to keep that fire alive that they had at the beginning. Why is that? Because it's easy to be excited uh, when we come to something in the Lord and even, even a new revelation. Suddenly the Lord's showing you things. You get excited for a little while about what he's showing you. And then immediately, right, the fire has a temptation to start to die. And it's our job, actually, you're going to have to work at it. In fact, Paul told Timothy, you need to stir up those coals. You need to stir up, fan that flame. You need to fan it into flames because it's going to take some work in you. The moment, right, who's taking a break from God? You didn't mean to take a break from God necessarily, but you just put some, you know, put some Christian things aside. I'm not saying you went and sowed your wild oats, but you put the word down, put some Christian music down. You're just like, I just want to be away from the Lord for a little bit. Not, not even to, you thought maybe because you felt like it was a job, and then you had a re, another reality check. You had a revelation that, wow, I can't believe how cold and how far I got away from you. What's it been, six hours? And I feel like an ice cube. We're not meant to be. Imagine a spouse saying to the other spouse, hey, I've learned enough about you. You know, I've hit this point. I still love you, but I really don't want to know any more about you. That wouldn't be a great... Uh, thing to say to your spouse. We're not just roommates. And so the Lord is calling us into this place of greater knowing. He's calling us into a place where we are focused, where we are in him and he is in us, as I always say. And, and I saw this picture. The Lord began to show me what it was uh, in, in an image, and a lot of times I see this this way. The Lord will give me a picture, he'll give me a, a little mini movie in my brain, but I saw a river, and I just want you to imagine with me, everybody, you can pick your, pick your own river, but 
I want you to picture the river that's got some rapids to it. Who's ever seen a river with, with a strong current? Maybe just post-flood, or maybe you've been by the Colorado River, or even the Hudson River can get a really strong current. Who's ever been there? Who's ever been in one? And I just, the Lord just showed it to me. Just, I just could see this current, and, and everybody's just flowing so easily with it. It's all just, it's just moving. It's so easy to flow with that current, isn't it? Except that the current is going the wrong direction. You know why there's rapids? Come on, why, do, why does the water suddenly pick up pace? Sometimes because there's a sharp turn or something, but you know why? Most of the time it's because there's a drop ahead, and it's sucking that water downward. It's pulling, it's pulling that water. Maybe there's a whole bunch of, of an influx of water, right? That can cause a current, and it's pushing it somewhere, and there's a waterfall ahead of you. There's a place where you're headed, and it's death. And then, but the Lord comes to us. We have a revelation that, wow, everything's just flowing so easily this way. Wait, that way is death. That way is life. And what do we do? We begin to swim in him. And then it becomes, you know, it's not, I'm not struggling. I'm not struggling against the current. I'm just, I'm not fighting it. I'm just moving. And the Lord begins to give us power, gives us strength, right? And who's, come on, who can just imagine what I'm saying? You're in that place, and he's begin, he begins to give you some strength, begins to give you power, and you begin to work against this current. What is flowing so easily the other way, now you are just moving completely opposite of. What happens when you stop swimming? Come on, it's not rocket science. You know that the moment you stop, the moment, you even say, I'm, I need to take a breath. I just need to take a break. There is no break. And like I said, I could say to you that the Lord's being harsh. I could say that, and there are scriptures that imply a very serious God that I think we've forgotten, like Luke there. There is a serious part of God. I don't think it's that. I think it's his love. But if you can't hear his love, then, I, then you should hear the seriousness that the devil does not fight fair, as I said just some moments ago. He's just looking for that moment. That's what the Bible says. He's a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And he's looking for that moment where he can poke his head in and he can devour. He's looking for that moment where you say, I'm just going to take a break. I've had enough revelations. I feel like I know enough about God. I go to church at this time. I read X amount of books about him a year. I spend this much time, you know, and it's like, you know, and then... I'm checked out. I've had enough believer time. I've had enough Christian time, and it's my time. And the moment that we do that, we're going to be sucked right back into, in fact, this is amazing, all that swimming, you're just going to be right back so quickly. Who's, who's felt like you have not just gone back to where you were, but, man, you just went so far past. You were, like, so far downstream. Thank God for his grace. Isn't his grace amazing that he doesn't let us go over that waterfall? He comes and he reminds us. And the amazing thing is, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he can turn you into a super swimmer, an Olympian swimmer. And isn't it amazing that he can bring you back to the place you lost? But come on, I don't want to lie to you. My, uh, this is, uh, you know, maybe you're listening on the podcast, but your blood would be on my hands for not saying that don't, just because he's willing to do that doesn't mean that he does. Just because the Lord is willing to take you, no one forced you into salvation. You were drawn without trying. He drew you in, but you said, yes, it's the same thing. that You must make the decision to swim. You must make the decision to mature. No one's forcing you to read the Bible. No one's forcing you to get through it in a year. No one forces you to pray. You can feel the, the tugging of the Lord, but what happens when you push it away? Who's ever pushed away that tugging for a season? You know what happens? It goes away. 
it's not that it stops, it's just that you have what the Bible calls it a hardening of the heart. It's like a radio station that's so clear. And what happens? Uh, you know, the Lord's speaking. You can look at it either two ways. Either I'm changing the dials to things I want, or maybe you're just getting far from the voice. I'm just going to get far away. It's not that the Lord's not speaking. I've just gotten so far away I can't hear him anymore. Now, is his grace still chasing you? Of course it is. Are there roadblocks in your way that are very obvious? I need to turn back? Of course they are. But the Bible uh, tells us clearly that, um, and, and, and just by context, I'm not going to turn to a spe specific verse right this second, but that we must be proactive. We must turn. Let's turn. I want you to look with me to the book of Ephesians chapter 4 before I run out of time. The book of Ephesians chapter 4. It says this in verse 11. Now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and the teachers. I found that most of the time this gets preached on just to say that there are gifts and that there are people who lead the church. And that's entirely not what this is about, is it, Jeannie? <laughs> it has nothing really to do with who's the leaders, except it has everything to do with this. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to what? To do his work, to build up the church, to help the church grow the body of Christ. That God has put us together. He's put people together. He has put some people over you, but he's put us together as a body for this, for a building and a growing. Everybody say, to be built and to grow. It says, verse 13, this will continue until, everybody say until, have we reached heaven yet? Is anybody sitting here, you are seated in Christ in heaven, but is your new body in heaven yet? No, if you're still breathing on this earth, then we're still in the until. Everybody say, we're still in the until. Until we all come to such unity in our faith. And knowledge of God's Son. Now, this word knowledge could be confused as information. Yes, you were introduced to information into your mind, but it became a knowing, right? I hope that you don't say, I have knowledge of my spouse. The old text that used to say, you know, like Adam knew his wife. That's not what it meant. Where's the children's church? <laughs> Adam knew his wife. We just, they put those words in there for children's church. It's not a knowledge. It's not a head knowledge, but it's a knowing. We're supposed to keep growing, keep equipping. The pastor just keeps preaching. I know it's like, man, I've heard that sermon before. Well, my Bible says keep preaching it until there's perfect unity and that everyone knows Christ in the fullness, in the, that we're fully mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. And if that hasn't happened yet, because we're not dead yet, then we're going to keep doing it and keep growing. The moment we stop doing this, you're dying. You're dying. We are not meant to reach a point and say this is far enough. There's no such thing as far enough in the Lord. This is not a hard sermon. This is, a, this is an encouraging sermon. It says, verse 14, why? Then we will no longer be immature like children. You know what the Bible says here? It says that the moment you say, I've had enough, you're immature. You're a child. 
We're not meant to be children. We're meant to be mature. You come in. Jesus said, come to me like a child because we have to come in innocent and free. Like, remember 13 going on 30, right? They made a movie about it, right? Because it's a concept that we've had around for a long time, right? When a child thinks that they're grown up, we've got a problem, right? We need to come as children. We need to be innocent. But then there is a time where you actually will be 30. And hopefully you learned a little bit at 13 and 14 and 15 so that at 30, you're still not a 13-year-old. And in the Lord, it's the same way. He says, and, and, and again, you could look at it as law, you could look at it as rules and regulations, or you could look at it as, wow, the Lord really loves us, and he's encouraging us, and he's warning us. Why? What happens when we don't keep growing, when we don't keep maturing, when we're not steadfast? I mean, I have so many different words I could use. The Bible calls it, don't be asleep, don't be steadfast, uh, keep alert, run the race, set your eyes on Christ, and I could just keep going, and I could spend the rest of the time, for a couple minutes, just giving you those words that he tells us over and over and over again. This is a proactive faith. Why? So then we don't, we're not tossed and blown about by every wind of new teaching or doctrines. We won't be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. Instead, everybody say instead, we will speak the truth and love growing in every way more and more like Christ. You are meant to grow. And this is a moment that we all will come to in Christ. If you, it, It's not just a single moment. I think it's an everyday thing, but there are times where you're going to come to this place and the Lord's going to say, are you going to get stuck here? Is this the place you followed me this long and this is where you're going to stop or are you going to keep following me? I know you don't like me right now, but I'm not going to apologize for who I am. I'm God. Do you want me to apologize that I've asked you? That's that why I started with that verse, chapter and verse in, in Luke, because you're like, man, you're making God out to be some type of like tyrant here. Just read the scriptures. Just read it for yourself. He is the most loving and gracious and amazing God that that we could ever imagine, and yet he's still God. Everybody say, and yet he's still God. He's still the creator of the universe. He's still the one who rules and reigns. He still sits on a throne. He's still a king. He calls us friend, but this is still the king of the universe, and he is to be worshipped and to be honored. God went through a lot of trouble to bring worship and honor to himself, to his own throne, and that is who he is and will always be, and it's amazing that we have love, and it's amazing that we have grace, but the Bible says it, that we have trampled not us in this room, but Christianity has trampled on the blood of Christ. They have trampled on the Holy Spirit. They've trampled on the concepts and doctrines of the word that have been around for all time. And they have traded it for this new sloppy, agape, sloppy grace gospel where you can just come as you are and stay as you are until you die. And that is not what my Bible says. It says, until... We have come to full maturity. And if you are still alive, breathing oxygen, then you are not there yet. You have not been perfected yet. And finally it says, he makes this whole body fit together perfectly. Come on, it's to be like Christ, growing to like Christ, and he fits us together. And as each part 
does its own special work, you know, and I don't have time for that. I don't think it's going to be a part two unless the Lord changes it. But let me just commercial break and say this. If it wasn't for the love, just to love God because he's God, and if it wasn't for your own benefit, then at least look around and say, if I don't do and be what God's called me to be, it's not just me. I'm affecting a family that I'm raising. I'm affecting my workplace. That the Bible says right here, when each part does its work, does its work, it helps the other parts grow. This is the gospel, so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. We are supposed to grow. If we're not growing, we're dead. The only thing in the universe that doesn't grow, everything grows. Isn't it amazing that God? Everything grows and everything works. The only thing that doesn't grow is dead. Everything is really alive. Even a dead tree is still really giving life to something else. But if it's not growing, if it's not doing something, it is dead. And Jesus said it's like salt, right, that has lost its savor. It's worthless. It's to be trampled underfoot. Amen. That's enough. We're out of time. But, Lord, I thank you for this word that you have put into my mouth. I thank you. It's the word of the Lord. I thank you. How far will we go? As long as it takes, Lord, as far as we need to. Wherever the finish line lands, Lord, that's where we're headed towards. I thank you, Jesus, that this is your church. This is your body. And I thank you, Lord, your word is crystal clear. We're going to follow your word and not going to follow tradition or religion or what's been taught before. If it's not the Bible, then it's wrong. And we're going to live your word. Thank you, Lord, that you've called us to live that way in this church. So we just give you glory and honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.